Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What is up, everybody? Happy Monday. Welcome to another episode of the College Game Time Podcast. I'm your host, Trey Smith. And y'all know how Mondays go. I got to jump right into it because we had an action-packed weekend. And I have officially coined what we're going to call the Monday segment, the Monday show. Shout out to Coach Wally Rig on Twitter, aka at Sage Daddy Zero. He's the one who came up with this name. I saw it and I went, that's it. So what we're officially going to coin Mondays is the Monday Mowdown. The Monday Mowdown, where we go through all the games, we talk about them, we break them down, and and um, you know, kind of come off the 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 coma, <laughs> the college football coma. I'm sure we were all in on Saturday. Had a lot of action with the American Athletic Conference. Um, I think we learned some about some teams. Learned a lot actually, and we're gonna get into it. But before we hit the Saturday slate, AP Top 25, uh, the G5 has representation in the top 25 with Fresno State coming in at the 25th ranked team in the country. I'm going to tell you right now, Fresno State is good. Okay, I caught a good part of the late game on Saturday when they put it on, I believe it was Kent State. Uh, They got a squad. Uh, Air Force also got votes, and then Tulane also got votes. Those were the other G5 teams and programs that got votes for the top 25. Uh, basically, here's what this means, right? Why is this relevant? Because it all comes down to that New Year's Six bowl bid at the end of the season, uh, which starting next year, that will be a playoff spot. Fresno State's in the driver's seat right now. They control their own destiny. If they win out, which is not going to be easy for them to do, Uh, They've got some big games coming up. They're at Wyoming, I think, in a couple of weeks. Um, And and it's not going to be easy. But if they were able to, they're in. They control their own destiny at this point. There is not another G5 team. Well, there's one. But I still don't think they would jump Fresno State if Fresno State wins out. And that's Georgia State. The only reason why I say Georgia State is because they have a game at Death Valley in Baton Rouge later on this season against LSU. If by some miracle they were to win that and finish undefeated, they would have a strong case. I just don't know if their overall strength of schedule, even with that win, maybe so though. That might be the only team right now that that could leapfrog Fresno if but that's like a huge if. Like, I don't see any way they go in and beat LSU at LSU. And I think that game might be in November. I'd have to look. Bottom line is Fresno, I mean, they control their own destiny. Any teams from the American Conference, um, with the exception of Tulane, is going to need some significant help, meaning uh, multiple losses. 
uh, whether that be Fresno State, whether that be Air Force. I think Tulane's the only team that if they were to win out, which I think they could, especially if Michael Pratt stays healthy, um, with their loss to Ole Miss, if you look back at that Ole Miss game, they controlled probably 60% of that game with their backup. I think they would have a strong case for a New Year's Six game. I still think Fresno's got to drop one, though. Um, in order for that to happen. But that's kind of a quick update on the New Year's Six bowl bid for 2023. All right, Monday Mowdown. Let's get it going. SMU TCU in the game for the Iron Skillet. I'm telling you right now, I was so disappointed in this game. I was very disappointed in just SMU's overall preparation, their effort. Um, for this to be a rivalry game, quite frankly, I thought what TCU did to SMU is what SMU was going to do to TCU. I was a little scared to say it all week last week. I was kind of hinting around it. And then in the end, I finally just said, well, I think SMU wins, but it'll be close because it's a rivalry game. But in my gut, man, I thought SMU was going to come out with the same fire TCU came out with and did to them um, what ended up happening to SMU. Um. I mean, yeah, just the, the management of that game, the preparation, just felt like it was atrocious. You know, I was thinking about the old Barry Switzer quote, the one Harbaugh used on Ryan Day about some, some are born on third base and think they hit a triple. You know, for these SMU players and staff, man, you got to understand, just because your boosters are paying for you to be on third base, that doesn't mean you get to act like you hit a triple. I'm fine with the fans doing it. And, and being excited about the future and the, 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 the outlook of where the program is headed, that's fine. But like, you still have games to play. You still have a season to play right now. And I just feel like what we got out of SMU on Saturday was unacceptable, period. Especially as a team that I felt like is, is, is primed to be a premier football program in the AAC this year. Look, I get it. It was still a Power 5 matchup. It was, it was a Power 5 opponent. But technically, SMU, I mean... You're about to be power five. So that frustrated me. Um, as I said last week, though, in my show where I talked about this ain't the 80s, you know, there might have to be some other changes that happen with that SMU program because I'm telling you, all that booster money is going to start flowing in and what you don't want to become is the Texas A&M of the ACC. So here's my bold prediction. While we're here, I'm going to just throw this out there because I, I said something on Twitter over the weekend and I was dead serious when I said it. But here's how I predict this plays out. I think Rhett Lashley, they finished their season, whatever they get this year, probably going to win seven or eight games, typical SMU. Next year, he'll transition. Coach Lashley will transition SMU into the ACC. It will probably be a tough year. Um, just... New conference, power five, more competition, tougher opponents, all that stuff. And then mark my words, those SMU boosters are going to go after Deion Sanders, a.k.a. Coach Prime, and try to bring him back to where he calls home, where it all started. His coaching career with the Truth Program started in Dallas, Texas. His son, his oldest son, played football at SMU. After next year, Shador's going to be gone. Shiloh's going to be gone. Travis Hunter's going to be gone. And I'm telling you right now, I think SMU is willing to write a blank check to make Coach Prime their head coach of the SMU program. And then on top of that, they're going to give him an unlimited NIL budget. That's a 
dangerous combination. Deion Sanders with an unlimited NIL budget right in the heart of Dallas, Texas, where he at this point considers home. I said it on on, uh, Saturday. I said, how long until the SMU boosters offer Coach Prime $20 million a year to come be their head coach? I'm serious. Keep an eye on that. All right, let's move it on. (laughs) Um, Tulsa NIU. (sighs) Tulsa got the win. It wasn't very convincing. Quite frankly, through four weeks of football, Tulsa's really only had one explosive quarter of offensive football. And that was the second quarter against Arkansas Pine Bluff. Now, granted, they've had two very tough opponents with OU and Washington. But this NIU game, man, I I thought this was going to be kind of a get your swagger, get your confidence back type of game. And it really wasn't, man. I don't know what's going on at the quarterback position. I don't know if Braylon Braxton's going to be out for a while. You know, he had the ankle injury in week one, and we haven't seen him since. Hopefully they get him back for conference play, but this week is a big game. They've got a Thursday night ESPN matchup with Temple to kick off conference play for both teams, actually. I think this is a, I hate to say this in week five, but I think this is like a a make or break game that will really strongly impact the trajectory of both Tulsa and Temple's season, depending on who comes out on top. I really think, you know, both are coming in two and two. Uh, Both have taken some pretty good beatings um, um, in their, in, in, in two of their non-conference games. And then both have had a convincing win and then a not so convincing win Both of these teams I had on my bounce back list for 2023. And I think Thursday night, it's it's a big game for both Temple and Tulsa. And we'll talk more about that later this week. But I think the trajectory of each team's season is really on the line Thursday night. That might be a little too dramatic this early in the season. But man, that's just what I'm thinking as I watch both these teams. And speaking of Temple, that's the next game on the list. They played Miami. Miami rolled. I'm not going to say I'm surprised, right? Like Miami did what they were supposed to do in that game. I did expect Temple to be a little more competitive than what they were. But that front five, man, that offensive line, I've been saying it all year, like they concern me. And if that, if the play there doesn't improve, you know, that impacts so much else of the offense from the run game, from EJ Warner, from just all of that. So I think the thing that's concerning me about Temple right now is they don't appear to be a team that's taking a step forward from a season ago. I'm not going to say they're taking a step back because last year, I mean, they were three and nine, but I just have yet to see a team that's really taken a step forward. They kind of look like, I don't know, like the same bunch as what they were. And, and, and including some key players that you were expecting to, to take a big step forward and they just haven't yet. But again, let me digress. We're four weeks in. It's week five. Conference play is about to start. I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to put too much, I don't want to put too much emphasis on the past four weeks, uh, but I do still think that this upcoming Thursday night matchup between Temple and Tulsa is a big game for, um, for, for, for both teams. Now, and, and to be fair with Temple as well, like I don't want to overreact too much, okay? They lost to, to, uh, two good power five teams. I mean, Rutgers, 
they played Michigan pretty well for most of that game, the number two team in the country. Miami, I mean, they throttled AM and they look like they might make some noise in the ACC this year. So I don't want to, I don't want to just harp on them too bad for those losses. And then even that Akron win, which I think initially you were thinking Temple needs to go in and win this a little more convincingly. Well, Akron almost just beat Indiana, a power five, big 10 team. They went to like four overtimes. In fact, they had them. And then Indiana made a little bit of a comeback there at the end. And anyways, Akron ended up winning. I think Akron missed the game winning field goal is what it was. I mean, it was a chip shot and they missed it, went into overtime and Indiana got them. So, so that Akron win being as close as it was for Temple, like that, that doesn't seem so bad now. But new season starts Thursday for both Temple and Tulsa, and, and I'm really curious about that game because, like I said, I think whichever of those teams is set to have a bounce-back season, I think the trajectory of that will be determined Thursday night. All right, let me keep it moving. FAU Illinois. Listen, if you watched Friday's show, you know that what I said about this game in my preview for FAU Illinois, that is exactly how it played out. I said Illinois was a winnable game for FAU. Illinois was beatable. FAU could go in and get a road power five win, but it would come down to one element, the middle eight. Last four minutes of the first half and the first four minutes of the second half. That's what came back to bite them against Ohio. And I said, I could see this game playing out similar to the Ohio game if FAU doesn't tighten up the middle eight. Well, you know what happened in this game? FAU jumped out to a 10-0 lead. In fact, their backup quarterback, Daniel Richardson, I, I don't know if I even mentioned this last week, but Casey Thompson is out for the season, unfortunately. The injury bug got him again. But Daniel Richardson came in, the backup quarterback, and he plays. He's fine. I think he'll be just fine for FAU. They jump out to a 10-0 lead. In the last two minutes of the first half, Illinois scores a touchdown, and in the first four minutes of the second half, Illinois scores a touchdown. And Illinois ends up winning by a touchdown, or whatever it was. I think it was, was it 24-17, 23-17, something like that. So the middle eight, that's what came back to get them, and that's exactly what I said on Friday. I, it's disappointing because I think FAU has the talent to beat teams like Illinois and Ohio. Uh, but, hey, it's Herman's first season. I'm going to let them continue to work out those kinks. Let them get into conference play. Um, I still think FAU is going to be okay. I still think they're going to be a team to compete with, and they're definitely going to be a tough out uh, as, as we, we get deeper into conference play. But that's FAU Illinois. So go back, go back and listen to Friday's show. I said that's exactly what I said. All right, UTSA Tennessee. I mean, it went about how we expected, or at least how I expected. I talked about that on Friday. I was like, look, I think – where UTSA's looked most successful offensively this year doesn't seem to be a good strategy against a team like Tennessee. Tennessee rolled. Um, and, I mean, if I'm UTSA at this point, lick your wounds, pick yourself up, dust yourself off, go into the bye week, get healthy. Get healthy. And then let's see if you can make some noise down the stretch in conference play. I'm not ready to give up on UTSA. Even, even with that loss to Army, the close loss to Houston, and then the just pounding they took to Tennessee, I still think they can be a competitive team in conference play. 
They just got to figure a couple of things out. And most importantly, they got to get healthy. Now, one of the bright spots from the Tennessee game was quarterback Owen McCown. I always want to say McNown, but McCown. Owen McCown, Colorado transfer, son of 20-year NFL vet Josh McCown, came in and threw two touchdowns in the third quarter. Um, is he the future? Is he, is he who the Roadrunners look to post uh, Frank Harris, does UTSA go to the portal for a QB in the spring? We don't know. I'm not sure, but I would say that was a bright spot seeing him come in. But it's, it's, it's always easier when you're down 30-plus to come in and make noise and get everybody all excited. And it's like, well, it's a little bit different when the game's 0-0. But UTSA, they have a bye week. They need to take advantage of that and, and get ready for conference play. All right. The game of the week, in my opinion. Literally, while the whole world was watching Oregon and Colorado, and I had it on one of my screens, but the game I was locked into was USF Rice. This, this game was two teams battling. I mean, the only disappointing, and I put this on Twitter, the only disappointment of this game was the crowd, man. USF, what is up? Go support your team, man. Like, this was a very good competitive game through really probably, what, three and a half quarters until USF started to run away with it? You saw physicality. You saw kids playing hard. You saw offensive creativity. You saw guys making plays. I mean, everything you want out of a football game, out of a college football game, you got in this USF Rice game. And uh, it, was, it was my game of the week. Heck of a game, back and forth, two teams competing. Uh, Byron Brown. Uh, AAC Offensive Player of the Week. I mean, this kid has improved. I mean, he's making marginal improvements week after week. And I wouldn't be shocked if as we get deeper into the season, if the growth and the, the, the strides that he's taking become a little more exponential, meaning we see, we see more improvement, magnified improvement from one week to the next. And if that happens, man... Whew, we're going to have to lift the ceiling a little higher for what this USF team can, can do, this, can do this, this season. Now, I'm not ready to just like crown them anything just yet for a couple of reasons. The first one being when this game against Rice really took a turn was when JT Daniels got hurt, Rice's starting quarterback. I think this game comes down to probably a field goal or less if JT Daniels finishes the game. Not to take away from USF, but just to call it like I see it. He was cooking. Rice's offense was cooking. Luke McCaffrey was cooking. All right. And it was a back and forth game. And then it was when he went down, USF started to pull away. And then it ended up being, what, I think 42-29 or something like that. So curious how that would have played out had JT Daniels stayed healthy. Which leads me to another point on, on Rice this season. Is JT Daniels done? I mean, this has kind of been what's plagued him throughout his entire college career from USC to Georgia to West Virginia to now at Rice is like that injury bug. And if he's out, this Rice team that was looking like they could be a competitive team in the conference, well, I think that's going to significantly impact what they're able to accomplish this season if JT Daniels doesn't come back. But uh, anyways, the other reason for USF is just wanting to keep in, keep in mind that, that um, you know, it's Golish's first year. There's still probably going to be hurdles. There's going to be adversity. There's going to be things to work through. You still have a young quarterback in Byron Brown, even though he is improving week to week. So I don't want to just like 
skyrocket the expectations just yet. Like, let's let them continue and see how they, how they continue to keep this up and show improvement in conference play. I do think the future outlook is excellent for USF. I think what we're seeing is a dog mentality from this Bulls team, this program that has been missing for some time now with just the effort and relentlessness and aggressiveness and mindset that they play with. And that's a hats off to Golish and his staff and being able to instill that culture in one you know, off season. But if this means that USF is about to be one of the premier teams in the American Athletic Conference again, like I'm all for that. And I think that's great for the AAC. So let's keep it moving. Oh man, I'm looking at the time. Yeah, this might just be a longer episode, guys. So just going to tell you straight up. ECU Gardner-Webb, I actually didn't get to watch much of this one. Um, uh, ECU rolled, and it's looking like it was a nice reset entering conference play, and they might be catching Rice, who their next opponent is, uh, without JT Daniels, which could be a significant boost for ECU. So what an opportunity for them to reset their season and try to start over after, after really putting themselves in an 0-3 hole. They shut out Gardner-Webb, did what they were supposed to do. Now let's see how they are able to take that momentum and put it into conference play. Uh, Charlotte, Florida. You know, Charlotte fought. They didn't give up. I, I'm, just, I'm not sure what to make of this team. I don't think anyone expected them to beat Florida. A lot of people probably expected them to get blown out, and they didn't. They actually kept it competitive. I mean, Florida controlled the whole game, but Charlotte kind of just kept chipping away and wouldn't go away. But that's the thing. I haven't questioned the, the attitude and the effort of this Charlotte program, this football team, the effort or the grit. I haven't questioned that. What I've questioned is if the staff that Pogey has in place is putting the players in the best position to be successful. Now, against Florida, that's not really a fair to me place to judge whether or not that's happening because you're outmatched at basically every position on the field. Uh, but I will say Charlotte's defense, man, they look like they're going to be okay in conference play. If this is how they're going to be, I think they'll be okay, but they've got to figure out the offensive side of the ball. Like what is their identity? Are they, the, are they the spread option team? Are they the smash mouth hit you in the face type team downhill team? Like what are they? It's like they have no identity on the offensive side of the ball. And I think that's what can come back to bite them as they get into conference play. So we'll see though. They've got SMU coming up followed by Navy. That is that. I mean, those are two tough, tough games. So let's see how that goes. Uh, moving on. We got Tulane Nichols, uh, Nichols state Tulane, man, they rolled. Michael Pratt is back. I think if he stays healthy, this is the conference champion. Um, it's not going to be a cakewalk by any stretch, but I do think they are the best team in the conference. I wish Pratt would have played that Ole Miss game because if he plays that Ole Miss game, I believe they beat Ole Miss, and then it's not even a question at this point. They're still ranked. They're in the driver's seat for the New Year's Six Bowl bid. Um, but, man, I, I just it's, it's tough because – if you actually watched the Ole Miss-Tulane game, not just looked at the box score, Tulane controlled that game with their backup quarterback for 60 to 65% of the game. I mean, into deep into the third quarter. And then the wheels kind of started to fall off. Don't need to rehash all that, but listen, if Pratt is back and he's 100% and he stays 100%, I think this is the team to beat in the AAC. Uh, which leads me to the next 
next team that I think is on that list, and that's Memphis, man. This Memphis-Mizzou game, it was frustrating. Look, I get it. Missouri's an SEC team. They're 4-0. They were supposed to beat Memphis. I don't agree with that. I think Memphis should have won this game. They got exposed defensively in a couple areas we hadn't seen yet, which is in their pass defense. You know, I actually thought Drinkwitz was going to scheme up a run game plan that was going to further expose Memphis, and it's like he did the opposite. He, he, he schemed up a pass game plan that exposed some of their weaknesses. But still, I mean, it wasn't like they gave up 40 points. Um, but what did I tell you on Friday? I told you who was going to have to go win this game for Memphis. And he had his opportunities, and he didn't get it done. And I don't want this to be a show where I, like, just come down hard on, on college players or anything like that. So I'm not going to just single a player out or call anyone out. But I think if you watch that game, and you know what I'm referencing from last week's um, Friday's episode, you know what I'm talking about. And, and Memphis just doesn't have a killer. You know what I mean? Like, they don't have that killer. They don't have that dog. Not, not behind center, not wearing the headset, quite frankly. And that's what I think is going to come back to haunt them this season. I think they have the talent and they have all the ingredients to win this conference. I don't think they have the mindset. I, I really don't. And I'm not trying to overreact based off this Missouri game, but this Missouri game was their first real test. And it was a test that, like, I think they should have won, even though they were the underdog. Like, I feel like they should have won that game. And I just, I think that some of the things that got exposed in this game, other teams in the American Conference will also be able to expose. And I'm going to throw something at you right now, Memphis fans, because I said this back in week zero when I was doing the, I was doing the Notre Dame uh, Navy live stream watch party. And somehow we were talking about the conference and all that. And I said, you know who Memphis needs to hire as their head coach is a guy like Bobby Petrino. And I know he's kind of a polarized figure in college football, but he would reinstill the mindset and the scheme needed for Memphis to do, you know, to, to, to maximize their potential, similar to what Mike Norvell did. Um, Heck, I had Ryan Mallett, may he rest in peace. I had him on this channel a little over a year ago talking about Bobby Petrino and that mindset that he instills in the, the genius of game planning that he puts into it. And I don't know, man, I mean, I'm sure it'll probably, if, if Memphis, not saying they will, not, seeing, not even saying that's warranted at this point. I, I just, I'm, I'm over speculating right now, but I'm just saying what I feel like Memphis is missing, a guy like Petrino could instill. And that's that killer mindset, along with, you know, the scheme needed to, to win a game like they just lost. Ah, sorry, that one really frustrated me. Um, that's what I said. Look, Memphis has the talent. I'm not going to give up on them. I think they're going to win a lot of conference games this year because they're so good. But what I am calling into question right now, headed into week five, is do they have the mindset to see it all the way through and to win this conference? That I'm not so sure of. That's what my big question mark is. Call it an overreaction. That's fair. All right, last but not least, we've got UAB Georgia. Listen, man, UAB fought. UAB battled. They went into the house of the number one team in the country who's had one of the best defenses of all time 
for the past couple of years. First rounders after first rounders, they went in and they were not intimidated. They were not scared. They were playing that game to win. Now, Georgia, being the number one team in the country, did what Georgia does. They ended up running away with it. And I think it ended up being 42 to 21. But guys, that's more competitive than what some of the SEC opponents are going to do against Georgia this season. Mark my words. So there was a lot to like. There was a lot, if you're a UAB fan, that you could look at and at least feel hopeful for the remainder of the season as it pertains to the mindset and the fight that this team has. Because I think that's what a lot of fans were starting to call into question after the first couple of games is like, okay, does this team have any fight? Does this team have any grit? Does this team have any spine? And I think those questions were answered against Georgia. Now, you don't want to get too high because you you just lost 42 to 21, right, at the end of the day. So you don't want to treat a moral victory like a victory. But at the same time, I think there are some silver linings you can glean from that game that if you can take that and put it into conference play, you know, maybe give yourself a chance to get that bowl eligibility, whereas a couple of weeks ago, that seemed like an impossibility. So those are my thoughts. Let me know what you're thinking in the comments. Tell me how you're feeling after week four. Tell me how you're feeling about your team, about the trajectory, the conference. Um, I know some of you think the AAC is just completely out of it for the New Year's Six bid. I don't agree with that. Not at this point, not at this juncture. I still think Tulane has a very good opportunity. Memphis still can too, don't get me wrong, but I just expressed why I'm not so sure. I don't have the confidence Memphis will be able to see this thing all the way through. Um, But those are my thoughts. Let me know yours and uh, I'll see y'all tomorrow. That's it for me today. Trey Smith, College Game Time. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.